if you're not happy with what you have going on currently, reflect on what you're thinking and just know that it's always possible to uh, reframe and create something different that you actually will enjoy. Kit Yun is a Chinese medicine practitioner, life and health coach. She's had a private practice helping people feel better by tapping into their own healing potential since 2002. She integrates multiple natural healing modalities to help people live a sweeter and healthier life without all the drama. Kit is originally from Thailand and has called New England, California, New Zealand, and Ohio home in the last three decades. She currently lives and practices in Bexley, Ohio with her children, husband, and a menagerie of backyard chickens, a bunny, and an elderly corgi. All right, we are here today with Kit Yoon. Kit, I am really honored to have you on the show and get a chance to really spend some time with you. Honored to be here, Brett. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, As we were just talking about, I was on your podcast, which was a lot of fun. And I've had the pleasure of working with you and being the beneficiary of your work, which I still enjoy even as recently as this week. I love coming into your space and getting treated by you. And I know you're up to all kinds of great things. But as you know, on our show, we want to hear the full journey towards where you are today and the success that you're having. So let's back up, start at the beginning. Tell me about your early days as a child, your parents, kind of what that dynamic was like. Mm. Well, I have an interesting, I think, upbringing. If we're talking about people in this country. I grew up in Thailand, was born in a little town outside of Bangkok. If you know Thailand, you probably know Bangkok or have been there. But I grew up in a town called Bak Nam, which is in the province next door to, to Bangkok. It's right on the mouth of the, the Gulf of Thailand. Actually, that's what Bak Nam, Bak Nam means. Bak is mouth, Nam is water, the mouth of the water. Tiny little town. My grandmother lived in the same, it's, I'm going to say compound. It sounds much more fancy than it was. It's just there were two houses on the same piece of land and she lived in her house and we lived in our house. So I grew up with my grandmother for the most part. My parents both worked. My father was a journalist, still is. My mother was an editor for a a fashion magazine, which was one of the few at that time and is no longer in existence. They both worked full time. I grew up with an older brother. We went to a local elementary school, took a little what do you call those things? A tricycle, like a tricycle, like a taxi tricycle would come pick us up in the morning mm-hmm. and would take us to our school. So that was sort of my first 10 or so years of my life with a break in sort of in the beginning where my father was a Neiman fellow at of journalism. And we came to live in Cambridge for a year while he was a fellow. So I got to go to a nursery school that is part of a church that is still there. My brother actually went to school school. So it's funny, and we'll come back to my upbringing, but what happened to our family, to my family, is that my husband was a fellow at Harvard when the kids were the same age as I was when I was in Cambridge. So my kids got to experience Cambridge, Massachusetts, at the same time in their life as I did. Anyway, so yeah. an interesting turn of events. Yeah, tell me a little bit. I'm just kind of curious, you know, what you recall in kind of the difference in environment and kind of how life was different for you as you, you know, go from, you know, Thailand to Cambridge. You know, like I don't know, I'm just imagining 
everything to be different. But I don't know what that was like for you as a kid. You know, were there language barriers? You know, the cultural barriers, the 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 food, the weather, the everything. Like I'm just wondering how hard that was, how exciting it was, how you know different it was for you, and what you remember about that at that time. I unfortunately don't remember a whole lot. Like mm-hmm. I have very strong memories, but there are few. I was about three, three, four, about that age. What I remember, okay, so I'll tell you the memories that I do have. The first one, which is probably the strongest one, is being in the basement of this church with other little kids. I remember the smell of Play-Doh, like still today when I smell Play-Doh, takes me back to that time. I remember taking a bite into this orange cube, didn't know what it was, and completely disgusted by like I had spat it out, completely disgusted. And and it was cheese. And I had not had cheese before in my life. So that was not not a pleasant experience because I was repulsed by it. Then I remember snow and also the first time, not liking the cold, but I think fascinated by what it was and maybe we made snowmen. What I remember, Brett, is that I got to be with my parents and might have been the most intense family time that we had until today because we were together a lot every day for the year, experiencing new things together. And after that, we got super busy. My, my parents went back to work full time. They sent us here, back here to the US when I was 12. So there was not another year in that time frame when we got to really spend time as a family. And, and tell me a little bit more about your, your parents. I'm kind of still fascinated by you know, how somebody goes from you know, tricycle taxi and, and what... you know feels like, and I'm just imagining, you know, to be sort of like a more simple life than than it is in the US in some ways. I'm mean, not that it's easier, better, or harder. It just seems a little more simple. I, I and I don't even know if that's true, but I'm just kind of imagining this like big transitionary thing. Like I don't even know how does that work that your your father gets on the radar of Harvard. And you know what was he doing? How did that happen? And and like, tell me more about that because you know what I see today is that move, right? Which maybe led to bringing his family to the U.S. Transformed probably generations of the you know kind of what happens with you and your kids and you know right and so. I'm I'm curious about kind of who he was and the and the spark and and you know the role your mom played and kind of how all of that unfolded. Yeah, it would be fun for him to talk to you because he's he's <laughs> he's a good he's a good talker. My father grew up in a Chinese community in the south of Thailand with a father who really valued education. So he was sent to a Catholic school in this tiny town in the south of Thailand and was exposed to, you know, some of the religious stuff, but also probably some westernized thinking. One of the teachers that he had, who's still a friend, was Father Frank from Italy. And he grew up with we call him the the posse. There's like a group of them that grew up together in this Catholic school. They all moved to, to Bangkok when they were older to go to college. And surprise, not surprisingly, but they're still very good friends and all quite successful in their own ways. But what happened for my dad, he got accepted. So he was a very good student. And the story is that he used to study in elementary school. His father would make him study the English dictionary 
so that he would learn English, but like from the dictionary. So he would learn the verbs and the, the words, but not so much conversational. With the school that the school that he went to, I think also taught him English enough to just enough more than a regular Thai kid would have had. So he got to Bangkok and got into the best university one could get into in Thailand and studied journalism. And I'm not not sure why he chose that at that point. Maybe because of the language thing. But anyway, so started studying. And I think he finished one year and then he had to make money for his family. And that's a very common phenomenon, even until today. You know, we take care of our families and especially our parents, especially if they need the help. So he started working as a reporter for the Bangkok Post, which, is, which was the only English newspaper in Thailand at that time. And I'm going to skip a lot of the, the pieces and the stories, but what happened then was he loved what he was doing, got together with a few friends and decided we're going to start our own newspaper. Because I think the Bangkok Post was owned by a different and an international newspaper company. So my dad and two or three other friends decided they were going to make their own. And it was the era, I guess, in the late 60s, maybe early 70s. Lots of stuff going on, right? Vietnam War was happening. It was right by our country. Vietnam is a neighbor. A lot of things happening in Thailand itself. So I think it was a very exciting time. So it was not hard to start something that people would flock to already. But the the... The difference was it was going to be in English and it was going to be independent. And they named it The Nation. So he started The Nation with a few people and the rest is kind of history. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So fascinating. I don't know why that just kind of like always strikes me because it again, it's this like generational change. And, you know, I'm always kind of curious as to how intentional that is or how kind of, you know, organic or, or kind of, you know, just in the life journey, how these things unfold in ways that, you know, we can't even imagine sometimes and don't plan. So tell me, so then you come back to the U.S., you said at age 12. And is that then your move to the United States for good? Did you end up coming over here then for for the rest of your schooling? Yep. I think what happened was my dad and my mom, you know, thankfully they agreed. Actually, not not so sure if thankfully, but anyway, (laughs) they agreed that they wanted the best education for their kids. Mm -hmm. And when they could, they took action. When the paper was doing well, it might have gone public at that point. He, you know, my dad for sure was like, we can do it and we have to do it now because we don't, you know, the nature of the business was, I guess, not predictable. Mm -hmm. So my brother's two years older and, you know, the details, I have no idea, Brett, because I was not, to me, I was not really part of the planning. Mm-hmm. To me, it was just like, this is what you're going to do. And mm-hmm. this is when you're going to do it. And, and that's it. And partially it's cultural. You listen to your parents. You do mm-hmm. what they say. Yeah. So I was 12 and a half. My brother was 14 and a half. He was ready to go to high school. And I was sort of like eighth grade-ish. And also kind of complicated and long, but eventually we ended up at a boarding school in Massachusetts, just about 20 minutes away from Cambridge where we used to live. And I have to kind of hop in a little bit on the kind of cultural piece and, and you know, unpack that a little bit with you. I, I really want to know from your perspective, kind of how you see the, this is what you're going to do, you know, and, and how that is 
may be part of the culture and you know listening to your parents kind of thing right i mean you and i have children that are you know similar in age and you know are in the same environment here in bexley and getting the same education and going off to college and we've talked a lot about all of that and so we know how we parent we know how we were parented right we know maybe you know what our our kids think that we should be doing differently or or, or better or what they might love you know but but i'm curious your perspective and having grown up in the family dynamic that you did and whatever cultural norms there were how did that impact you what do you think of that now and maybe just take a second you know while we're here to talk about you know how you do it the same or different oh boy i have to say that i got lucky to have left when i did because i was high enough, but I wasn't too high. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, the formative years for me were actually in Cambridge, in high school with Westerners, with Americans. So I can't say that it's easy for me to be raising my kids this way, the way that I am doing it with my husband who is American, but it is not, it is not as hard because I understand. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there's a part of me that has a hard time letting my kids be very independent, letting them think for themselves, being independent, doing their own thing without needing our you know, constant um, validation or even mm-hmm. permission down to the point of how how they speak to me and my husband, that mm-hmm. if I were to raise them the way I was raised, it would look very different and there would be mm-hmm. a lot of conflict in this mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. because it's very different from the way I grew up. But like mm-hmm. I said, because I understand that this is this culture that I didn't grow up in, but I get it. I watched my high school classmates and my friends and everyone else here do it mm-hmm. this way. So it makes it easier. But there are times when I can't explain to my husband why I am hurt or I am conflicted or it's really hard for me to watch things unfold as they are mm-hmm. because it's very it's not something I can explain. To, yeah. to somebody who did not grow up with that, the values. Yeah. And, and you know, just kind of curious because, you know, you are a coach and, you know, you are a healer. And, you know, I think it's like very honest to talk about kind of how you may not be able to really relate, you know, because or even explain, right? Because it's really like an embodied experience that's kind of, you know who you are and your being based on how you were raised and and conditioned and and I find it to be wonderful that you also you know kind of maybe had the blessing of both and so you kind of now get to pick and choose you know which parts you want to you know really live into today as your adult self and as a parent, you know, and all that you are. And and also, you know, I'm kind of like wondering how you view the experience you have. Like, do you view it as a blessing? Do you view it with gratitude? Is there any part of you that, you know, is wishing it was different or, you know, I don't know, any anything along that line too? Very good questions. And lots of things came up when when you were talking, I really think of my experiences as assets, huge mm-hmm. ones, especially as a coach, because I don't identify myself as any as anyone, really, as any particular culture or race. I know it's funny, you know, I am Thai and I am Asian. Most of the time I forget. I don't think about it. So I don't show up being Asian, if that, if that makes sense. So I am pretty adaptable 
and I can be comfortable everywhere and with everyone. So for the most part, it's a, a wonderful thing that I had the path that I had. I am mostly grateful for what was given, despite the the pain that I still feel of of being sent away. You know, and there's a part of my brain that says that's abandonment, right? Like, why did they let you go so young? And I could go down that road. But then I look at my life now, I have nothing to complain. So how can I say that I wish it wasn't that way? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it kind of depends on when you catch me. But <laughs> 90% of the time, I would say completely grateful. I would not have done it any differently. Good. And and knowing you, you know, that's kind of what I expected you would say. So tell me, you know, a little bit more about kind of how your life starts to unfold. What happens next for you and and kind of as you start to get into your, you know, adult education and, and career? Yeah. Um, no idea what I wanted to do in high school. Not that one should. I think you and I talked about this, you know. I think the kids these days feel like they have to know what they want to be and do and study. I I did not, but I remember as a kid in Thailand, I remember somebody asking, what, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to help people with my hands and I also want to be able to teach. Something like that. So it was like these, the combination of of healing and teaching. Mm-hmm. And kind of I then I let that go, right? In high school, I was a good student. I was good in science and not math per se, but going into college, I thought, well, I guess I'm a good science. Maybe we'll explore science. And 90% of incoming students at Wellesley were pre-meds. So I thought, well, maybe I am a pre-med. So for maybe 30 seconds, I was a pre-med. And then I hung out with some of them and I did not want to be a pre-med. I didn't want to be like hanging out with them. So I still studied biology, graduated with biology as a degree and left college not wanting to be a doctor. And by that time, I was already dating my now husband who was going to medical school. So I got to experience medical school through him and very happy that I was not going into that field. Mm-hmm. But still nagging this sense of wanting to help people and what to do about that. Just hop in there for a second. Yeah. Because you know, you use the words, I think you said like helping people. I don't I can't remember exactly. Using my hands. Was. Using your hands. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, knowing what you do today, you know, this is what you do, right? And you had that kind of spark of insight. And I don't know how much of this is like cultural in that it's like you know, Thai or Asian, because I had the same thing, right? Mm. Like, I, like my parents were born in this country. I was born in this country. And I also had expectations of, you know, kind of what was best for me. So I don't know if it's just like a societal thing, a generational thing, how much of it's a cultural thing. I mean, I don't know. And, I, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. But it does seem like in both of our cases, maybe you know, there's this spark that happens somewhere that kind of gets pushed down, you know, or put off to the side because there's some other kind of like energy or or dialogue or narrative that, that says, you know, actually what you really need to be doing is over here and do that. And so like even knowing you didn't want to go med, you still go biology and, you know, you you end up in the in the med world with your husband. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, how do you unpack all of that? Like, you know, was that just your journey and your kind of path to by, you know, really kind of having to, you know, find your way through it and let go of it? You know, tell me kind of how you see all of that. There were definitely a lot of shoulds that were not explicit. I was known, like identity-wise, I was known as a good student. And yeah, in Asian cultures, good students become doctors, lawyers. I mean, there weren't that many Mm -hmm. options. My 
teachers in Thailand in elementary school took my mom aside and um, told her that I should have been in a different class. There was a time, actually it was just one year, when we could choose which route to take. And I actually chose humanities because I wanted to do humanities at that point. I think it was like language and arts and literature or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't choose science at that time. And that was when the teachers were confused because why, why is this smart kid doing humanities, not science? So that probably got stuck in my brain throughout more schooling. And, and yeah, it was the brain itself was able to do some science. But Brett, I am not a hardcore science and math person. Like, mm-hmm. don't give me too many things to like read and figure out. And chemistry was my nightmare. Oh, physics was mm-hmm. worse. So mm-hmm. at some point, I realized like, I am not actually somebody who, who can or want to fulfill that expectation as a smart Asian kid. Mm-hmm. So I am super grateful that my, my instinct, my intuition said, you know, no, don't be a pre-med, but maybe still give yourself that option of, mm-hmm. of studying. Because, you know, I do like mm-hmm. biology. Like it was super interesting. But mm-hmm. hindsight, now that I have kids, you know, this age choosing to do things, I hope that I can be helpful to them if they come to me with questions of, what should I study? Because mm-hmm. that, that was not available to me. My parents let me do whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of curious, you know, then when it comes time for your kids to start talking about what they want to study, what is your answer? I mean, do you have any leftover expectations that are... It's actually interesting. I was on somebody's podcast this morning, a friend of mine who lives in Hong Kong, and he was talking about... His whole podcast is about entrepreneurship. And he was talking about how still today that it's very much become a doctor, go into the you know medicine world as as like the highest class. And that entrepreneurship is is really still sort of kind of frowned upon, which which shocked me. I actually, I mean just shows my ignorance because I just thought, you know, the there's so much kind of innovation coming out of China that, you know, the the dialogue would be different. But you know, according to him, it's not. And so I'm wondering, like, well, that's still there. You know, do you have any of that? Is there still some, like, well, I know we, we joke because uh, my son has a, a friend whose grandmother is Asian and she kind of would pick on him for getting an A minus, you know? <laughs> and so, like, the, I know it still exists. And I'm just curious, you know, kind of is that a part of your thinking? Thankfully, it is not. Thankfully, I grew up enough in this culture to Mm -hmm. not have the, yeah, the Asian expectations at all. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I'm being honest when I say I forget that I am Asian Mm. most of the time. Yeah. So, and thankfully my husband and I also agree. I mean, he is a doctor, but he, that's the last thing he wants the kids to do unless they really want to become a doctor. Yeah. So we're both in the camp of explore go take lots of different classes, meet lots of different people. You know, yeah. college is a time of exploration, not not a time to, you know, niche down on what your life is going to be. Yeah. And I know that's not super popular these days anymore, but but we're still, yeah, we we want them to to find out as much as and there might be some things they don't even know that they will like or that would interest yeah. them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great, you know, to hear that because I think that, like you said, there's, there's something like we need doctors, right? And we want our, you know, brightest people to be in that field. It's a very honorable and valuable profession. And in your case, like you knew that wasn't in you. (laughs) It's like not your default, you know, that's not where you excelled. And so you got to kind of, you know, feel into that. Like, is this me? Is this not me? And, you know, that's what I hear when, you know, you think about your own kids. Tell me a little bit more about kind of 
how you got into then the work that you're doing. You know, you you come back to that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, at a at a relatively young age, kind of what you want to do, sort of, you know, not really, but you have a sense. And and you end up there. So tell me about how you how you ended up there. Yeah. So Chinese medicine was nowhere in my knowledge or sphere. You know, it's not like I went to see Chinese doctors in Thailand. We have our own traditional Thai medicines. Thai massage is a big one, herbal medicine, but I did not grow up with with that in like part of my healing or, you know, how we took care of ourselves. So it didn't come to me until I had to actually find a way to get better myself. I was dealing with anxiety producing gut issues. I had, you know, IBS and GERD and you name it, everything Mm -hmm. that stress and anxiety will do to your digestive system. And I honestly don't remember who or why somebody recommended this acupuncturist. We were living in Maine at that point. And I was working in Portland as, get this, as an associate producer for a documentary film company. Okay. Hmm. Not Chinese medicine. So I was doing that, but then somebody said, you should go see an acupuncturist for your gut issues. So I did just pretty simple, showed up, she gave me acupuncture, gave me some herbs and told me to not be too stressed. She's very Chinese. She's very Chinese. Mm -hmm. You know, I took her advice. And lo and behold, like a few weeks later, I started feeling better. And I was like, what is, what, what is this? What is this Chinese medicine? So that was also the time when I had to decide if I wanted to stay in this country, I had to keep being a student because I was still on a student visa. So what was I going to do? Because I had that gap year. You can work for a year with your student visa. So it's working. So it was time. And I clearly did not want to leave and go back to Thailand. So I, I explored, Chinese medicine was one of the things I explored. And I think, you know, subconsciously to be validated by my parents, maybe, I don't know, I made it up, that I may still, if I did something in medicine, maybe it will still be okay for me to keep studying and staying here. So I checked in, I checked out physical therapy, I checked out natural path, I checked out like, all the other things that's not conventional medicine. And after the experience with the acupuncturist, I said, you know, maybe this is maybe this is a good idea. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that it's not just an alternative medicine. It is its own holistic paradigm that's existed forever. And that really intrigued me that kind of got the rebel part of me um, happy, right? It's like, it's medicine, but it's not medicine. It's not the, the normal medicine. So yeah, so I applied and we had been talking about going out West. We were on the East Coast for a long time. So I only applied to schools out in California and Oregon. And, and he was looking for jobs at that time. So we landed in Santa Cruz, California. To go for me to go to school, and he found his sort of first real doctor job mm. out there. Yeah, and that was 1999. We, yeah, where your love affair with California began. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. We actually spent the same trip to Portland, Oregon, and Santa Cruz, California to check out, mm. interview, and all those things. We spent four days in Portland, loved it. But it rained the whole time and then flew down to Santa Cruz and it was 70 degrees in January on the beach, which was a block away from my school. It was not a hard sell. <laughs> mm, yeah, I know. It's, it's sells itself. So tell me, Kit, you know, how your current practice has evolved. I mean, I, I know you to be doing many things using many modalities. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and kind of the evolution of what you do and 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 why? Mm, this will be like a therapy session, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> so 
something. For me or you? For probably me. Okay, good. So (laughs) I still pretty much do what I've always done, which is helping people feel better by helping them use their own wisdom. I joke, but it's true that, you know, Jerry Maguire, right? Remember this, mm-hmm. you know, Jerry Maguire? Yeah. We're, oh, yeah. yeah. We're contemporary. So, sure. Yes. The, the scene of when Jerry's telling Cuba Gooding, like, help me help you, just like sure. fleeing, help me help you. So, mm-hmm. my, my version of that is, I want to help you help you. Let mm-hmm. me help you help you, which means it's all in here, right? To, to get better, to feel better, to heal yourself. Physically, emotionally, we have it. I am the conduit. I am the facilitator of how you can do that for yourself. So in that sense, I'm still doing the same thing. It just looks different on paper or the way I offer. So yeah, so acupuncture, Chinese medicine, herbal medicine was a big part of my practice until about five years ago when I discovered coaching. And how that happened was more like I was already coaching people. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think most healers, practitioners coach in the sense of tell, you know, telling them how they can help themselves, right? And also listening. That's a big part of coaching is listening. And I kept having people tell me that they felt better with me than they did with their therapists. So it made me curious, like, what does that mean? Do I have to become a therapist? And that point in time, I discovered hypnotherapy. That was sort of my first introduction to coaching, really. And hypnotherapy is can, be, can sound scary, can sound woo-woo but it's nothing more than working with your own subconscious mind. So I got trained to do that and loved loved all the sessions that that I had to do to get certified and kept kept doing it, but then at that point it was sort of separate from what I did because there was acupuncture and there was hypnotherapy. So over time I collected other tools to sort of help blend those things. So health coaching became part of the toolbox. And then life coaching became part of the toolbox. And, you know, in between there's tapping that's actually combining acupuncture with positive psychology and coaching. So I... Yeah, I am confused about how I introduce myself to people now. People will ask, what do you do? So when I say I'm an acupuncturist, that's almost in disservice to everything else that I do. Although I do still put needles in people as you experienced. But I feel like when you're with me, I I would like to think that I offer more than that. So there's energy exchange for sure. There's my hands touching your body. So the hand thing is still there, but a lot of people will leave telling me that they feel like they're, you know, mentally also in a different place, which, Mm -hmm. which I, you know, I'm happy to hear because I, I think that that's how I help them feel better. It's not just through the needles massage. It is more than that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in my own experience, and and you know, we've done some work together outside of acupuncture. Predominantly, you know, what I would say, you know, you and I've done together is more on the acupuncture side. That said, you know, there's there is work that's being done, energy work that's being done beyond just the needle that does kind of help my nervous system. It helps, you know, it's very meditative. It helps me clear thoughts, energy. I mean, it's very much an an energetic healing experience, even though there's less of a coaching element to our engagement. And I totally get that. And maybe you could speak a little bit more to this. 
coaching, I, I think coaching, especially today, is confusing for people. I think there's a stigma, which is going away slowly, but a lot of it is just confusing. And, and, and actually, it's kind of interesting now I think about it, because I think the big issue with the stigma and some of the confusion is the lack of credentials that are required to be a coach, right? If you are a psychiatrist with a degree from Harvard, you're considered to be one thing that's very quantifiable for most people, right? If you're a coach, whether you're certified or not, that's like over in this other category, right? Mm-hmm. And and what I found in 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 my own therapy and and coaching that I've received and and also given is that in fact you really um, just need to have lived a little bit, and that your experience and your natural. Um, intuition and way of being and way of tuning in to somebody else is really the only credential that you need, you know. And 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 you can support somebody, you can help somebody, especially if they help you, right? To to help them, you know, just by tuning in. And so that's kind of I think the thing that you know I observe with you and and really good coaches is that they can just be present and really tune in and listen and get curious and then speak from their heart and from their experience and you know able to really support somebody and and like that's it you know you don't i mean what's what's confusing about that but i want to hear you know kind of your take 100% it's funny that i had a friend, a, co- a classmate in acupuncture school who was going through life coaching training. And at that point, I actually sort of laughed. It's like, how are you qualified to be a life coach? Because again, like at that point, you know, 1999, maybe Tony Robbins was the only life coach out there that we knew, right? Now that I know, and now that I have been the recipient of being coached, having many coaches, business and health and life, it's like having a friend who gets who gets you, first of all, but is no not attached to you, like has no agenda, but can see you better than you can see yourself. And here's the most important thing, and I think this distinguishes therapists from coaches, is they help you take action. Because a lot of times we know what we can do or want to do, but we're stuck in our own limitations. And a lot of that is mental stagnation. And this is where I I think of everything as chi, right? So acupuncture is about moving your body's chi. It's also moving your mind's chi. So we can get stagnant in all the parts and all the ways. Coaches help clear that cheese stagnation in your mind. Because that's really, that's the only thing that's in the way is your beliefs, your your self-critique, right? The inner critic is always in the way. So I think that coaching, it's helpful to have somebody who's experienced for sure. It's really helpful to have somebody who is experienced in what you're going through, who's a little bit ahead of you or a lot ahead of you, right? So like a business coach, you don't want somebody who's hasn't done it before, but somebody who's done it well, just ahead of you will know exactly what you need to do. Yeah. So I, it's, I don't know if I'm answering your question, mm-hmm. but I, I value coaching more now than... I mean, obviously, because I am in it and I see the benefits. But it's almost like if every athlete has a coach, why don't we all have a coach? You know what I mean? I I do. I absolutely do. It's you know, if you would if you would hire a coach to teach you how to swing a golf club or hit a tennis ball or you know block and tackle 
why would you not hire a coach to help you be a better, you know, partner, spouse, leader, you know, any number of things, right? And and I have two quick questions for you because I know we're going to run out of time here. But the first one is you made a comment that you know, distinguishes coaches from therapists and, and it was action. And I'm curious kind of if you could just say a little bit more about that. Like what is the action that a, a coach is able to, you know, do or drive that a therapist cannot? And then my second question, which is kind of on the subject that we were just talking about is who coaches you? Who mm. are your truth tellers? Where do you turn today? to get that kind of honest reflection of maybe where you can continue to grow? Yeah. So the first question, how does a coach help you take action? I think of the similarities between therapist and coach. I think now I'm sure therapists will be calling you or me, (laughs) but it's that we get to um, hear the stories and arrange it in such a way that we can see it, right? Because normally we're living in it. To have somebody hear it, understand it, and lay it out for us. I think that's really helpful. That's clarity. Therapists help you understand why you're doing what you're doing, right? Because of some of the past traumas. Or maybe it's conditions that you deal with, some mental conditions. Coaches do that. and ask, well, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do now? And how do you want to proceed from here? And maybe therapists do that too. But I feel like at least my coaches will want to know, will want to get clarity from me. Where are you now? And where do you want to go? Yeah. And and, and why? Yeah. I think there's a little more accountability and also kind of like, you know, you can, you can, you can give advice. You can kind of say what you think. You can kind of, you know, be a little bit more actionable. Whereas therapists, I think, have to be a little bit more kind of curious. And and I don't know, I've seen both, you know, sides of that. But I, I, I know what you're saying, and and you know, I agree. It's one of the reasons why a lot of therapists today are opting for coaching is because they can be a little more free with what they're able to do. They're not guided by a governing body that says you can't do that. Okay. Tell me, where do you turn now? Kind of wrap up with that. Yeah. I have a personal life coach who uh, her niche is helping successful women do the impossible. And if you know me, you're going to know that I like challenges and I like to think that I can pretty much do anything I want or set my mind to. And so she and I talk once a week and it's setting impossible goals that, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm going to go and lift up some heavy van, but it's more like, this is the one I want to do with my, my life and my business. And it seems impossible now. So every week we kind of go through like, okay, well, what have you done? And why is it still impossible? And it's all always comes back to my own limiting beliefs about me and what I can do. So she reminds me that that's not true or that's just an optional belief. And, you know, Brett, she will give me a bullet, like bullet points, like list of things to do in between weeks. And pretty much I, conquer them each week, which feels really good, but also makes her feel good because she's that's her that's her job, right? Is to show mm-hmm. me that I can do the impossible. I have a holistic business coach who has a mastermind, which she calls Mistress Mind because it's all women. It's a little bit woo-woo. We do human design, we do astrology, <laughs> we work around menstrual cycle, but the main thing is to work towards moving our businesses forward. And she's Australian. And we also meet once a week as in a mastermind group. And I have access to her too individually if I need, if I need extra work, extra help. Awesome. Yeah. And then one last thing is I have, I feel like I have lots of coaches who don't know that they're my coaches because I look up to a lot of 
you know, people, I mean, people like Oprah or, you know, seriously, Tony Robbins. Like sometimes when I meet that young energy, I will find, I will YouTube his talks or I, I do want him to like yell at me to, to get going. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these are people who help me take action because they help me reframe my thinking. Yeah. It's one of the beautiful things I think about kind of the era that we're living in is that you can kind of like scroll through Instagram or turn to YouTube or take a seminar online with somebody you don't know, might never meet and really get something inspiring out of it that can be massively impactful. So there's all kinds of ways to get help. Many of them are free. And um, I'm not surprised to hear that you're kind of tapping into a number of them because you know you can only coach people as far as, as you've gone. And in order to kind of continue to expand that, you've got to expand yourself. And so that's a never-ending work, I think. And it sounds like you know that's the path you're on. Yeah, and, and um, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna just add you to the list because oh. I know you don't show up on this podcast as a coach, but but you are creating value. You do have a lot of wisdom that when I do listen to your podcast, I do feel like I am. I'm not getting coached per se, but I am growing. And you do help at least me think differently and taking actions that I might not otherwise do. Well, thank you for saying that, Kit. The feeling is mutual. It's great (laughs) to learn from each other and to be with you here today on the show. And yeah, thank you. I just appreciate you taking the time and for being who you are for me and your family and for many others. So I'll give you a chance just if you have any final thoughts as we wrap up. Final thoughts is that thoughts create things. (laughs) (laughs) And that is what I do with most of my clients is show them what they're thinking and whatever they're thinking, they are manifesting and creating in their life. And everything is optional. All the thoughts are not uh, set in stone. So if you're not happy with what you have going on currently, think about or reflect on what you're thinking and just know that it's always possible to uh, reframe and create something different that you actually will enjoy. Amen. That's perfect. Great way to conclude. Kit, thank you for taking the time. I'll see you soon. And I enjoyed it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Brett. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.